Hello, Chris here with another installment of the Make It Podcast, and the first one of 2019. You ever think back to like the year 2000, 2005, and think to yourself, what would I be doing in 2019 or 2020? And if so, are you doing it? Maybe that's a topic for another podcast. Anyhow, before we get on to today's guest, we want to thank everyone that has supported the podcast, this passion project of ours. And um, if you haven't yet, please go to Apple Podcasts and rate and review and subscribe. And um, if you do, uh, I want you to know it makes a huge difference because it allows new listeners to find our podcast more easily. Also, if you find this uh, podcast valuable and entertaining or both, be sure to tell a friend because podcasts grow by word of mouth um, more than any other way. And certainly as we grow, we can build more and more value into the podcast for you. And now on to today's guest, director and writer Drew Maynard. Drew is a Nashville-based filmmaker who has written, directed, produced, and edited a number of short films, including 2017 South by Southwest Film Festival selection, The Source, also one of my faves, and Nashville Film Festival award-winning Used to Could, and he did that in 2015. In addition to making short films, he also helps put on Salute Your Shorts, and Salute Your Shorts is a quarterly film showcase that happens here in Nashville at various locations. And he also uh, puts on Nashville Story Garden Greenhouse, which is a writer's workshop that develops scripts for the screen and stage and more. And so, as you can tell, Drew is doing the work of an angel uh, here in Nashville each month. Uh, so according to Drew here, to keep the lights on at the house, he is a photographer in multiple hat wearer for fresh branding, whose clients include many Nashville-based restaurants, distilleries, and breweries. Drew and his wife, Liz, live in East Nashville with their dog, Bolo, who, according to Drew, is possibly a tiny tornado in a puppy costume. That's incredibly cute. So now, without further ado, I give you a man that received more compliments from me than any one man could possibly tolerate. And you'll hear what I'm talking about here in just a few moments. I give you director and writer Drew Maynard. You're listening to Make It, a podcast by Bonsai Creative that helps aspiring professionals in film get where they're going faster by dissecting the advice, knowledge, and insights of professional creatives in the film industry. I'm your host, Chris Barkley. Hey, what's up? This is Drew Maynard. I'm a national-based writer, director, photographer. Um, you might know me from a couple shorts, um, used to could, uh, and the Saurus, a few others. Um, currently I'm working on a short film, uh, it's in post right now. Uh, we were allowed to play around in an old church just up the road 
And then there's, uh, you know, the occasional short script that bounces around in the old noggin. Yeah. That's fantastic. Thank you, Drew, for joining yes. us uh, on the podcast. This Thank is you. This, this is really cool. And, and um, you really just come so highly recommended uh, from everyone uh, in this community that we've talked to. You, you've, um, you've done a lot of uh, olive branching for so many uh, of the up-and-coming filmmakers and, and current filmmakers uh, in town. Um, the one oh, that's that they nice. all... Does that mean yeah, go ahead. giving out drinks? Does that mean giving out <laughs> drinks or what is that? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure, no, I'm sure, I'm sure that's where it starts. <laughs> I don't give out drinks, but it's a standard. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and you know, what it, I think it more means um, giving out, uh, you know, a platform for for you know artists to to show their work uh, in front of a crowd that gets it first before they hmm. take it out to the masses but we'll talk about that yeah. uh, down the line um, yeah you know but the one thing you know everyone I've talked to um, about you says uh, they kind of come back to the same thing is that you're this incredibly humble guy. <laughs> Um, incredibly humble, incredibly nice person. Where did that humility come from? Oh gosh. Um, wow. That's incredibly flattering. Um, I'm blushing. Uh, why, um, I don't, I don't, I don't know. That's a, it's a hard kind of field uh, question to field. Um, I mean, it's probably credit to my parents, my upbringing. They're, um, just good folks who, you know, will set you straight when you need to be set straight. <laughs> um, that sort of thing. Not like they're disciplinarians, but it's the kind of thing where, um, you know, the Southern saying, I believe you're getting a little bit too big for your britches. It's just a reminder there that you're, um, there's always, I don't know, bigger britches. Well, tell me about that a little bit. Uh, where, where did you grow up and, and, and what was that like? What was that childhood? Like, was there a moment also in your childhood where you kind of knew you wanted to tell stories? Oh man. Um, so growing up, um, we lived in Kingston Springs, Tennessee, which is about, I don't know, what's traffic now? 20, 30 minutes outside of Nashville, uh, had like 20 acres in the middle of the woods. So I should probably be like a rustic woodsman, but we did kind of do that occasionally, but mostly stayed inside or played around or jumped on a trampoline. Um, <laughs> <laughs> But as far as story goes, I mean, we've, as a family, always kind of cherished stories. We still kind of have the same stories. I don't know, you know, bringing someone new into the fold. Uh, I mean, I'm sure my wife could do an entire podcast on this and like the, the language and the shorthand, especially with my sister and I have in, um, inside jokes that we kind of step back and go, Oh my gosh, that joke is 25 years old. Um, I don't know if it would hold up elsewhere but you know within us there's just some um phrases from our childhood that still kind of make us laugh and so um i don't know if that's what kind of formed my love of story but um i think maybe it's just cutting up with my family is a very um critical part of my upbringing and how it's fun to do that with other people um you know you toss out a joke and see if it lands and Boy, it's really something when it doesn't, but you kind of go, you know what? 
my sister would definitely get that joke. And there's a weird enjoyment in that. Uh, I don't know. But then like everyone just kind of looked at you like nobody knows why you're talking about a baseball team from the mid nineties, man. Like, yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> right. And, and, and so I'm going to go on a limb and say, I mean, it seems like you guys kind of all had dinner together and there wasn't a ton oh, of TV gosh, or, yeah. or, or am I wrong about that? Well, my dad worked for uh, what was Viacom Cable. So um, uh-huh. <laughs> like yeah. back in the day, like when, I don't know, I think most people our age remember how the internet came about. Well, uh, my dad was working for Viacom when cable television came about. So uh-huh. we did have like a, um, a vast amount of TV available and we would watch TV. Um but there was a lot of a huge concentration on family time. Yeah, we'd have uh, family dinner. Parents were always involved in um, in like our activities, like you know sports and stuff. But even like my nerd phases of comic book collecting, my dad would be like, "All right, are we going to a comic book thing?" I'm like, "Yeah." And looking back on that, it's just pretty amazing. And even now, they're like, "How do we listen to the podcast? Is it on now?" And I'm like, "Oh, God." Uh, <laughs> It'll, it'll post a little bit. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> it's, it's like, you know, I don't know. I, I hit them up and I was like, it's not quite like radio, very similar, but a little pre-recording and that's it. Um, but yeah, no, uh, but I think now, um, with the cable TV sort of thing, um, my sister and I find that we reference movies that like played over and over. Uh, I don't know if like there was like a certain summer where a league of their own played mm-hmm. a bunch and we referenced the heck out of that movie or like that thing you do. I don't know what it did to lodge itself in my brain aside from repeated viewings as a kid. But like, I think about that movie every day. <laughs> <laughs> you think about the movie that thing of, you do every, every single day, every single day. There's always some kind of reference. That's amazing. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I, I really liked it. I, I know there are some people who found it a little bit hokey. I I thought it was really good, and 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 having a background in music kind of fairly accurate to how it happens if it's going to happen. Um, oh, there, there does come that formula. moment where you kind of have to leave your local manager. I mean, that's just got that is part of yeah. it. Yeah, that's what I that's what I mentioned that that uh, the guy in the trailer who served the good beans, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. their first manager. I was like. That's that's such a thing. Like you you leave you have to eventually break away from whoever invested in you, I guess, from the start. It's a awkward, terrible thing, but I was using that in reference to like the Taylor Swift deal. I don't know. Yeah. No, I, I get <laughs> that it. Would be and, completely and, irrelevant by the time this posts. <laughs> but but the but the well, I don't know, because the, I think the I think the interesting thing that movie illustrates in that specific regard is that there used to be a different kind of man that walked around the planet, which is one who knew what his job was and wasn't out mm-hmm. for his, uh, for his personal gain to the detriment of the thing he created. Right. Oh my gosh. So, so, oh, so, that's beautiful. so the, the, the manager was just like, yeah, it's, I've done my part. It's time for you to go and mm-hmm. take that next step and I'll find the next group. Cause that's what I do. Yeah, that's perfect. That's such a beautiful way to describe it. Man, I, I'm loving that movie more and more now. <laughs> that <hokey laughs> formulaic. I, and, 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 and I think, you know, parents, even when they're not in entertainment, 
they can have such a, a massive effect on the way we perceive the possibilities in our own lives and how we want to tell stories and how we want to communicate simply based on how creatively they approach the family dynamic. I know that in my own family, um, they gave me and my, my older sister, um, Michelle, space to put on performances for them in the living room. And we grew up oh, you know, f- fairly modestly. So, you know, this was that was the thing. Like, so we would we'd write an entire play and we'd perform it and they'd be our audience. And and even even when we got in trouble, instead of just saying who did this and doling out the punishments, now we got our share of that, of course. But sometimes um, my mom and dad would would create parent court and they would be the judges and we would oh have gosh. to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We would ha- we would have a plaintiff and a defendant. And uh, whoever the whoever the non offending so I that two sisters, uh, I have two sisters. So whoever the non offending party was was like the legal counsel for the defendant, <laughs> right? So, oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah. So they so we would put a case together as to why you know usually I didn't do it, uh, <laughs> and then they would decide whether or not I was guilty, and then the punishment would come after that. But it was a fun way to get in trouble. <laughs> Oh my gosh, you're almost encouraged. Like, I'd love to learn more about the legal system, but I'm going to have to get in trouble and then set myself up for trouble. That is the cutest episode of Law and Order I've ever heard of. I think you can do the sound effect, but that might. Oh, that would be great. That would be that would be great, but but yeah, in, in the parental in, justice system. I, 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 it's funny because I think the punishments were were you know uh, severe enough to not want to be in trouble, but but it did, <laughs> but it did give me a sense of story because when you're trying to explain and oh, communicate, gosh, yeah. you in a but you're doing it in a specific way where where there's you're trying to cut the fat and just make it as convincing as possible. Um, yeah. That that's one of the oh, things nice. I look back to, just like oh yeah that that helped me a lot. So so yeah you um, you sort of developed that humility, um, developed yeah. that love of story through jokes with your with your sister, and you um, yeah. sort of spun that into this this career uh, behind the camera and and and, and writing and editing. Um, sure. What was what was your first uh, significant project? that you worked on? Oh man. Okay. Where, where you, where you felt like you could, where you felt like you could do this. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, so little backstory here. Um, in college, uh, there was a program that was basically study abroad, but it was in LA for me attending a small Christian college. LA was very much abroad. Um, and so which, which uh, college like did you go to Drew? Oh, I went to Lipscomb University uh, in Nashville, and they offered this semester-long program uh, in LA. Oh, it was really nuts and bolts of filmmaking. One hundred and one, like, took me weeks to really understand the one hundred and eighty-degree rule. I still don't know if I get it, but you know, stuff like that. Right. Um, that's where I met a good buddy and frequent uh, collaborator, uh, Caleb Dirks. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's a Nashville guy, does a lot of production work around town, um, and runs a photography business with his wife. Um, but hit it off 
uh, he and his wife. Uh, so we, you know, wrapped up the semester, made a short film there. I hope it is just buried deep within the earth somewhere and never sees the light of day. Um, what was produced there. <laughs> um, and then, uh, graduated college and then Caleb moved here and he was like, let's, I'm moving to Nashville, man. Let's make some stuff. And so with that momentum, we made a short film in, oh my Lord, 2009, um, called Backfire, which was as much of a film school as actual, um, semester long film school right. because, um, trial by fire, failing up all of those terms used to describe, um, how you learn by doing, uh, is what kind of happened with backfire. Um, it was a week long shoot with just some DSLRs and our friends, uh, ended up being a, you know, 22 minute short film, which is an opus of a short film, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, that was just, uh, it really, I think is probably the most ambitious thing we've done probably worth a revisit damn near 10 years later, just to see what <laughs> that was like. Um, but it was, uh, really something to, I mean, Caleb and I went through that script together over and over and cast it, you know, all of that stuff, just learning, building off of, you know, our love of movies and what we kind of had built up in a classroom environment and then just went for it. Um, back in Nashville, when you could get away with much more than you can now, um, just think about all the, uh, risks we took in that film and, um, all that stuff is pretty crazy. I think it's one of those, which I think a lot of ind independent film goes is, you could do a feature length documentary on the making of the film and it would probably be a little more interesting than the actual film. Mm. But I think we're still really proud of it in a weird, like, boy, we cut some teeth on that. And so the, the cover art you know, is amazing it, on backfire. It's, oh. it's, it's, it's so cool. It is so cool. So, so for uh, since this is a, a listening medium, I'll describe it. It's it's a handgun that's completely taken apart, and it looks like almost like a, a patent drawing of what a revolver would would look like if it were taken apart piece by piece. So, yeah, really I awesome. Found that. Thanks. We, I mean, again, like learning and risk taking. I don't know where that came from, but we just. You know, we're um, millennials and the internet, everything on the internet is at our disposal. So we were like, yep, that's our cover art. And then used it as kind of a visual metaphor in that um, backfire is violent, but it's more of our response to violence in movies. Mm. Uh, and so uh, the dismantled uh, revolver is kind of a visual metaphor for what we're trying to do with guns and films and stuff uh and how like it's just a odd form of entertainment but hopefully this is entertaining <laughs> was, right. oh, so man. so um how did i'm gonna get back to that because that's really interesting uh, but um how did you there, there were obviously a lot of people in film school with you and lipscomb has a has a good film program actually um how did you hit it off with Caleb? Why, why him? How did you guys actually get close? I think we, 
we've we've kicked this around and oh it's it is uh, a common theme in i think my life but uh and it probably at this point is a is an eye roll but you know we were on facebook and we were just like who are all these people coming to film school from all over the country okay that person is whatever that person has odd taste and like i just tossed out like a um, any Wes Anderson fans in here? And, um, which wasn't all that common, I guess. It, was, it wasn't, it wasn't cliche then, right? <laughs> it wasn't, I guess it probably was in certain circles, but I guess, uh, <laughs> Christian based school filmmaking, I don't know, but Caleb was like, uh, yes, yes. Well, yeah, um, yeah. So it was just like a, a moment of, okay, some, just mutual interest on Facebook of all places, uh, which I think we've all kind of jumped ship from there. And, <laughs> um, but it, yeah. And then like just hung out and while in, uh, LA you have your curriculum, you have your assignments. Uh, but we would mostly spend our time, uh, picking random DVDs, well DVDs, uh, from mm-hmm. their library and just watching, you know, like the George Washington film uh, had a cool cover and it was Criterion. Like, let's do it. Or uh, we watched a Japanese bootleg version of Eraserhead, uh, you know, and just kind of bonded over that and finding similar themes and cues and what we want to do. And then um, kind of finished our assignments. Basically, you kind of have this period of, you're in LA, you don't have much work. There's a huge amount of production equipment at your disposal. So, um, he found this online, gosh, I should have, I should loop him in on this. Uh, mm-hmm. he found this online contest to like make silly music videos for this band. He was like, let's just get some equipment and do it. And so, you know, cut to us in a Ralph's grocery store with, um, God, what were, what were those cameras? Like, I don't know, some sort of tape based Sony camera on a grocery cart being stupid at 2 AM, um, or on the rooftop of our apartments, uh, filming just rapid cut type music videos. Um, just getting stupid with it, kind of exploring non-narrative based stuff, which is a great, uh, exercise. I still try to do as much as we try to lock in narrative stuff. It's fun to just, be completely free of that sort of thing whenever right. possible. That's interesting. Yeah. That's kind of, yeah. And so that's kind of how we just started you kicking just, stuff around. Yeah. You kind of found your, your film soulmate. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> it, 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 yeah. You guys do so many uh, great things together. And um, you shot, he was a cinematographer on, on backfire. Um, uh, you directed that, correct? It was co-direct, co-shoot, co-edit, co-write, co-act. Like we wore all the hats, and sometimes we would wear the same hat at the same time. Uh, or you know, like there there were times where he would just you know hand me the camera and he'd be in front of the camera and vice versa. I mean, it was super gorilla, and you know we could just toss out direction to one another in a way that uh, was pretty pretty fun to do on such a, you know, a, a big project for us. Yeah. To, on, yeah. on our film, Wildman, we had two directors. We had 
uh, Jackie Phillips and Stephanie Black. And um, as as the film played out, you kind of figured out, you know, which role each director was going to play. So, yeah, I can I can see. Um, gotcha. I can see how that that could work, but I can also from that experience see how it how it doesn't work. <laughs> um, so, yes. So oh, the Cohen brothers are are something magical in the world. You know, that's I guess maybe the standard of yeah. Of I would co directing. Yeah, I would say so. <laughs> I would say so for for sure. And um, they make it look easy. It's not. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So so backfire was this twenty two minute short. Um, uh, you took a lot of big risk. Uh, you, you grab, you grab the cover art off the internet. You're just making it happen. You're working. If, if you could go back in time to, to, um, when you shot backfire and give yourself a couple of pieces of, of advice, what would they be? Scale it back, dude. <laughs> Scale it back. Um, that's what, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> no, no, no. I, was, I wasn't saying anything. Yeah. Oh, no. Um, it just, it's the main, I think one of the main things we learned is, so we, you watch all these films, you watch these important, large films that say um, massive things. Like it's not, you know, you study Paul Thomas Anderson or, or something and, and you're like, well, that's what I want to do. I want to make films like that. And so you do, you try and you pack as much as you can in something like that. And it, it makes it harder on yourself. Um, you know, if we wanted to say something about gun violence in filmmaking, we could have had, you know, one intense scene with a gun, uh, make it funny and get in, get out. Cause you know, 22 minutes is a hard sell for festivals or any sort of screening. Um, and so like, if you want people to see it, there's a, there's a way to convey a synthesized idea rather than an opus. And it's such a, it's a thing that we, I would not have learned otherwise though. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's like, I don't know. Is there any advice you would give your, uh, younger self, your former self from a craft standpoint? Um, you know, you don't have to act in front of the camera, dude. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> um, from a craft standpoint, um, I think we, you know, go ahead and, and stick to your, um, your storyboards as much as you can, as, as enticing as a little bit of improvisation feels. You're not, you're not going to dig that when you edit or co-edit. Um, and just, manage your risks appropriately. Uh, there's, you know, some days you just kind of have to call it. Um, but I was part of the hustle then, I think. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I agree. I, we, Nick and I just reviewed a short film from a student filmmaker, uh, recently. And, um, you know, all the classic first time filmmaker, um, I don't want to call them mistakes, but, but but yeah. um, but features are, are in there. So, for example, uh, one thing, you know, we would tell uh, a filmmaker that's just starting out is you don't have to do everything like yeah. you, don't, you don't have to have you don't have to squeeze in your Aronofsky shot from, you know, uh, 
rec room for a dream, <laughs> right? You don't have to try to squeeze yeah. that into your narrative. Like you don't have to have a super, super, super close, uh, slow move in, um, <laughs> that, that ends like on the tip of their nose. And, and you know, you don't have to have, you don't have to tilt reality for us and do something Nolan did in inception, you know, all oh, in gosh, eight minute yeah. shorts. So, and so now you have all these different, because the camera is the, the, the delivery, um, it, it's the delivery vehicle for your story. And so when you make your delivery vehicle do all these weird things, um, it makes the story do weird things, uh, you know, unintentionally. But, but it yeah, happens, but it happens every yeah. time. So everything they ever learned, every camera <laughs> trick, uh, every push, pull, every, every, you know, every, everything, uh, what if we one, with a one dolly? Movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. No, no, easy. Yeah, I let's, think let's start, let's start with a dolly, and I want to and I want to shoot this on an iPhone three. What do you guys think? iPhone <laughs> <laughs> three. <laughs> Get everything we can out of the seven hundred twenty p pixels. Yeah, yeah. I I think the temptation to to show off your fancy footwork because you're excited and you're like, what if I don't get a chance to do this again and have to show all my all my stuff right here. Mm-hmm. Um, it's real. And I'm certainly guilty of that. I've got, you know, plot ideas that just like immediately in the weeds, like, oof, wow. You're, you're confusing complexity with good. I don't know. Right. Like, uh, and it's such a, a balance. I think that, um, maybe you can tell, yeah, people that, all the time, but doing, I think is, is a large part of learning that doing and stepping back and seeing what you've made and going, okay, on to the next one. Yeah. I think it's so important. And, um, I, so I agree with that sort of Ted Welch mantra of just get out there and make something. And then you make it. The, the question is, what, what will you learn from it? I mean, we did, we did the same thing. We went and filmed a, a comedy special for, uh, one of our good comedy friends, Rashid Stevens, uh, in Atlanta. And we had director Rashina Nash on it. And, um, we knew right away we are going to lose every cent. We just, <laughs> we just knew it because we didn't know anything about how to make a comedy special work. Um, we had this huge invite list. We had booked this, this, this place, uh, that was this great performance hall back at his old school. We had all the hooks in there. Right. But we knew it. And, and so what we did when we went down there to Atlanta to do it, Nick and I said, listen, uh, this is going to be, if, if we get lucky and this ends up being great, we'll release it. But chances are it won't be. Uh, but let's take great notes. <laughs> so, so let's just make sure that every single thing we see gets put down on a piece of paper so that we can analyze it when we're done. Because we're not coming out of this alive. And we did. And, 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 and I promise you, we, we, we came out of that with probably two years of experience because we were so wow. detailed. We were so detailed in what was not working. Um, wow. right away and like what it would take to make it work. Um, like if we did it today, it'd be, it'd work, but, um, but we had to have that failure, um, to, to, um, make it really, um, to, to really understand how easily you can make a mistake. Like, like yeah. it's really easy to make a mistake <laughs> because, because, because everyone's smiling at you. Everyone's, 
everyone's shaking your hand, everyone's excited, and the vibe and the energy is great. So you're not really looking for little things that, you know, and some of the things that don't work, just you won't even know why they're not working. Um, or, or you won't know to think about to think yeah. about them at all until you're in post. Um, one of the things we had to deal with was was that um, for whatever reason, someone uh, was talking uh, over uh, uh, the director. Um, the director's camera. So you could hear them audibly talking over the performance. And then like, how do you edit oh, that out? No. And the only way you can do it oh, is to take no. another one of the angles uh, from one of the cameras. And it was just like, Oh my God, it's like, it's not working. So just little things like that where you're like, Oh, make sure everybody you know, shuts up, you know, <laughs> and, and make sure that like, they're super professional. Like we weren't, you know, we expected them to be professional. We weren't actually managing their professionalism. Mm -hmm. Right. So those are all yeah. those, those little things you learn when you just get out there, like, like, like I mentioned before and, and just make it and just know, you know, don't have a sense that you're going to, um, if, if you, if you have a huge jump in your career because you made a great short, that's fantastic. But chances are, this is a good learning experience for you. Yeah. First that's and foremost. I, yeah. I think if, if as much as, you know, someone's schedule time and, and wallet allows jumping in in whatever project you can just to learn, just to immerse yourself in as much as possible. I think that's the thing as a student, I wish I'd just done more of just jumped in because that's just such a good opportunity to learn as much as possible about mistakes. <laughs> like, you know, everyone's always like, Oh, we need somebody to run sound. Like just jump in and do it. It's you know sound yeah. on a short film or a student film. It's it's fine. You're not making a, a feature to go yeah. in a multiplex. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Kind of yeah. to find that perspective as a. I guess it's kind of how it always is. You don't find the perspective till a little later. Yeah, it's weird when people do have that perspective beforehand. <laughs> yeah, for yeah, for sure. And and I think you know your experience allowed you to make one of you know, my favorite shorts of all time, the Saurus, um, which is, which is just the best. And, oh man, thank and, you. Uh, That's so nice. Yeah, it's, it's great. And it, it won uh, a South by Southwest award, right? Uh, midnight short. Uh, oh, well, it, uh, it, it played at the, uh, so in the South by Southwest midnight shorts block, um, we were up against crazy competition. You kind of like one of the scariest, I don't really do scary films, but there were a couple in the block because it's midnight shorts and like, like the, one of the scariest things I've ever seen. And then like some of the most absurd things, it was an amazing block to be a part of. I still can't believe we were in the mix. Um, no, uh, no, no, uh, awards, but just the experience and like jumping in being in Austin for, I think like seven or 10 days. It was just wild. It was great. Well, yeah. And, and I think you look at that short and it totally deserved it by the way. And, and the, the reason, the reason it worked is because of those lessons we just spoke about. Um, you had a great location. Um, Thanks, I, I, yeah. <laughs> and I actually learned that from Maki, from Maki Dapp and, and from, and from Cicely Hoffman, which is that, you uh, have, you, uh, and, and Cicely's this great, um, uh, she, she kind of does oh, yeah. it all, but, but, you know, how do you make a space interesting? 
<laughs> how do you make a space interesting to look at? Um, so, so many uh, of the short films I've seen fail that first test of um, mm. find a compelling location and don't settle. Um, and, and Maki's the, yeah. the master at, at that, in, oh, in my yeah. opinion, of making sure that whatever you see on the screen, whether it be the person or the location or both, usually both, they're doing something interesting. It looks interesting to the eye. Um, so, um, that's important. That's kind of where I've been jumping off lately as like a location, you know, available. There's a location like even, yeah, like, okay, well, is there a story we can tell in this weird place? Uh, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that's, that's interesting. Cause it reminds me of going back to songwriting and sometimes, um, I would write songs backwards where I would, uh, in, instead of, instead of finding the chords, um, because normally you, you do the music and then you say, Ooh, that'd be nice to write some words to that. That, that seems to work. Sometimes I would find mm-hmm. a, a great phrase or even a, a newspaper article and say that nah. that headline is so good. I should write a whole song around that. <laughs> and, and so that's, that's, that's what I would do a lot of times. And a lot of times it was just a, a, a practice of mine to, to get sharper, but um, yeah, it, 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 that's a great way to approach story. Like what an interesting place. Let's film here. Let's write a story about it. So, so you guys noted on that. The second thing was, was your camera work. You made sure not to do too much with the camera. Um, and you made it look easy so that the focus was on Aaron's performance, which was great. And then, and, and then we could really follow the words because he does say a lot of words. Like the, 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 the writing is brilliant, but, but it would, it would fail if, if you're doing too much with the camera where we can't listen to him, listen to the protagonist speak. Yeah. No, all credit there to Caleb, um, for, for how, um, for shooting that, um, I mean, we, we went up, he and I went up early that weekend and just shot some of those, just, you know, more meditative <laughs> Terrence Malick looking at tree shots. Um, <laughs> and then spent the day, the, the rest of that day, just planning the shots. We knew we wanted to keep it simple um, just because it was, you know, a limited amount of time. And I had just a good group of guys coming up to help. And I was like, not offering a lot of pay, but you know, my wonderful wife cooked us some fantastic meals and we just kind of made a hang of it. Uh, so it was like, I can't pay a whole lot, but want to spend time with me, which is like, boy, that's an egotistical director move. Um, <laughs> but I think like, <laughs> yeah, we had a couple of shots there. Uh, we had a, a, a Mofi, the stabilization thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm up on my lingo here. Um, or maybe it was a, oh crap, I can't remember the name of it. Caleb will shoot me. Uh, but yeah, we had a couple of shots where we just wanted to use that. But yeah, keeping it simple, I think is, hopefully, you hope it's not boring. Um, but that's where um, Aaron comes in. And it's just, it's, it's a whole nother level with him um, and what he brings to the, to each and every scene. It's kind yeah. of astounding. <laughs> he, he sold it for sure. Um, so again, for, for those that want to know what the heck I'm talking about, uh, <laughs> go to drewmaynard.com 
So D-R-E-W-M-A-Y-N-A-R-D.com. And there you can watch the short and then let me know and let us know <laughs> if you loved it as much as, as much as I did. Um, I got to make sure I paid up my Squarespace. Okay. It's up. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Don't we all? Don't we all? <laughs> so, so, um, you made it on, were you on the Conan O'Brien show? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh man. Wow. Okay. That is, how did, how did that happen? Uh, that, so I, I have to say, no, I was not. That is a very convincing late nineties, uh, VHS tape. Oh, my family went to New York on like a family vacation. My sister and I were huge Conan fans. And as part of their, you know, NBC experience, they had the Conan desk ride. And so (laughs) they set you up in front of a green screen and, uh, you interact with pre-recorded, I guess recorded, um, Conan. And then, (laughs) And then, like, you get to take home of you know a VHS tape. I don't know what my parents paid for that. I don't know late nineties money. It probably wasn't cheap. Um, but yeah, I found that we've been. My, my parents are thinking about moving soon, and, and um, my wife and I just moved. So that's when all the nostalgic stuff comes up, especially VHS tapes. So I've been kind of digitizing that, and I found that, and that had been memory hold uh, for the most part. But I was just like. Oh my gosh, I think this is worth sharing with the world, even as um, embarrassing as um, Paige and I might, <laughs> might look. <laughs> but <laughs> I wish I could say, you know, I was on the Conan show. I think we, we saw it once, you know, but never, never met the guy, which, mm. you, know, you you did, but you didn't, right? It's, it's this yeah, weird thing. Yeah. yeah. Yes, we we met quotation marks Conan. Yeah, but yeah, not really. <laughs> well, maybe 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 we can figure that out. Maybe we'll figure a way to get you and Conan in the same room, so that can finally be checked off your bucket list. That would be, you know, it's weird. We were just woo Conan, he's the best, and then like haven't have kept up. I don't know. We're all six degrees of separation from somebody. So anyone listening knows Conan <laughs> O'Brien. Please have him call Drew Maynard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hell, yeah. Would love to be in the cone zone. I don't know. He would whatever. He calls. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds bad. That sounds gross. But, yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we'll make it happen. So, yeah, cool. You, you, you're, you're, you co-founded something pretty cool here called the Nashville Story Garden, and I want to talk to you a little bit about um, how you came to co-found that. Oh man. And, and well, what, and what is it? Um, so, you know, I think I, Aaron Munoz is, is the, is the guy, the, the founder, I think on this, if it's okay for me to not to, um, course correct too much, but I think he is the guy here and he brought me on just to kind of be, um, you know, a somewhat regular, you know, attendee and participant. Uh, but it is a, very, uh, I just find it the most wonderful resource. Um, so what's the pitch here? <laughs> it's, um, mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so Story Garden uh, is it meets the second Monday of each month, and it allows uh, writers with works in progress or nearly finished works to basically throw it against the wall and see what sticks. And the way that that happens is uh, local actors, both with theater and film and various other backgrounds, will cold read scripts. Uh, it's from, and we get a, a wide array of material. Um, we have, of course, you know, theater pieces, short films, feature films. Uh, we have a wonderful podcast, the Mr. Mysterio podcast, that is just the most consistently hilarious and enlightening and heartwarming thing. Uh, it's it's great. I recommend that if uh, podcasts are your thing, which I guess they are if they're listening to um, the Make It podcast. That's um, right. How do you spell Mysterio? M-Y-S-T-E-R-I-O. Uh, Mark okay. and Tasha Limley uh, write and produce it. Um, uh, our good buddy, Mr. Munoz, is Mr. Mysterio. It's, uh, it's wonderful what they are able to paint with just words. Uh, you know, I heavily rely on, you know, uh, action, stage direction, wardrobe, but they convey just these quick short stories, um, set in a, uh, super video and tan place in the strip mall. It's just the best. Um, but yeah, that's one of our regular pieces at story garden. And, um, uh, you know, you bring in. Uh, I'm usually on the, you know, short film sort of side of things or just a sketch. If something pops in my head, that's like more of an SNL style sort of thing. Um, it's such a great resource because it gets it out of the writer's head, which is, um, something I, I always need. Um, cause it just bounces around in there in this echo chamber. Um, but yeah, and, and the actors are so talented like it's weird. It would scare me to death to just get handed a script and say, "Run with it," because like there's some really dark stuff. There's some hilarious stuff. Mm-hmm. Very odd. Um, people just jump right in, and um, it's as like sometimes actually I'll correct that. Most of the time, I'm unable to get my s together and come in with the script. But I, I just enjoy attending. Uh, you get great stories. Uh, it recharges those creative batteries if they start to run low you're like oh man people aren't doing it they're creating and it's hilarious and inspirational and um it's uh, uh, yeah i'm super glad that uh, aaron brought that concept here yeah recommend it to any writers or actors that want to stretch their legs my sisters uh started attending um and she just somehow has that bug where she can jump right in <laughs> i sit back and cower in fear so every second Monday of the month, and where is it? Where can people go if they want to attend this? It's the uh, Centennial Arts Complex. So it's in Centennial Park, where the big oh, great. Uh, right on West End. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right on West End. You know where like the was it uh, McDonald's and then Hog Heaven or something? Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Right along there, there's a small kind of '60s looking building, uh, which usually you'll hear some like middle school band practice coming out from the other end of the building. And then we meet in the, um, Oh, it's a, it's a small theater. I think it's the, I don't know if the theater has a name, but, uh, it's used for kind of community productions. Uh, I would say get there early because we've gotten quite a, gotten quite popular lately and we only have, you know, two hours, 
uh, starts at seven and goes until about 9 p.m. We only have two hours to get through uh, as many pieces as we can. So, um, you know, kind of well, get everyone, yeah, yeah, everyone out there listening, second <laughs> Monday, Centennial Park, <laughs> 7 p.m., get there early, go do it. Uh, you'll, you'll be better for it. It reminds me of, um, so one of the first sort of muses I had, if that's the right word, uh, inspirations to get into, uh, this business was, uh, a close friend of mine named Scott Kimry and, um, and Scott would have these parties where everyone would come dressed up as the person they were going to play for the night. Ooh. And that can get pretty wild. Uh, if you can think so about, you if you stay, can, yeah, you stay in character. You stay no, in character. Oh, that's so fun. <laughs> no, no matter, no matter what the context of the room is. So you could imagine that this could get pretty crazy, pretty fast, uh, depending on who you showed up as. If you show up as a, a gangster, if you show up as, uh, um you know, a brothel worker, if you show up, as, <laughs> you, you see what I'm saying? It's a, it's, yeah, no, it's, it's not, like it's not for the fainted heart. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, um, it can. Yeah. And, and the downfall of those parties is that, uh, once alcohol shows up, <laughs> yeah. yeah, then it can, downfall or it, yeah, yeah. Yeah. One or two, it can, it can spiral out of control. You, you, you don't need to go to more than one of those a year. Um, <laughs> it's, like it, it's, it's the McRib party. of parties. You just need it. <laughs> you just it need it every now and then. And kind of scary. Yeah. <laughs> the McRib. Oh, <laughs> uh, gosh. So, so, so fun. um, so, so when you, when you're at Story Garden, what is, what are some of the pieces of advice could you give? maybe two pieces of advice that, that you typically give to uh, your attendees? Um, well, for actors, uh, Aaron always says, go big, go big with your choices, which, you know, it's, it, it's fun when that happens. They may not be the correct choices and everyone's forgiving of that because you're, you've just been handed a script. So just go for it. And I think that also applies to writers. Like it's a very, um, a welcoming environment. Like, so if you have a piece you're unsure of, which I definitely have brought in pieces where I'm like, I don't know how this is going to go. It's no one ever like shames you or criticizes. It's always, um, here's what it made me think. Here's some parts that were interesting. Here's some parts that I thought worked especially well. Uh, but no one ever says like, dude, you have to change this part because it doesn't work and you have no denouement or I don't know. So like, um, I would say come for writers, just come in with an open mind because much of the audience will have the same mindset. And I think that just kind of helps, um, foster fun and good work. Mm-hmm. Uh, scared of, you know, uh, you know, art, uh, painting 101 criticism, uh, it can motivate you to, you know, do things, but uh, it, for the most part, might scare people away. And that's not something that um, Story Garden is built on. It's, it's, a, it's a lively, welcoming sort of environment where you will, you know, walk away having heard your piece 
And then you, you know, it's on you to, to refine it from there. Should you choose to. Got it. And you do some other things in the community and this is what really sets you apart um, from, from just someone who's writing, directing, who's writing and directing in Nashville and LA. Um, You also do something called salute your shorts and it's a, a platform for the community that's making short films, that's getting their feet wet, dipping their feet in the water of filmmaking to show their films to their peers, essentially. And maybe a few people that aren't, but for the most part, I've, I've been to at least two of them. They're really great. It's a fun environment. You should, you should pick a great location. There's food, there's, there's drink, there's great camaraderie, and you get to watch what the community's doing and see who's up and coming. It's a great place just as lead gen, for example, for um, anyone who's looking to jump on a film team or crew uh, to find out, oh, well, that film was great, except it had a bad score. So I'm really good at scoring. So let me see if I can get with this filmmaker and, and see if they need my help. Um, there's, there's a lot of different ways to look at it. Um, how did you start this? And, and tell me, tell me, and tell us more about Salute Your Shorts. This is a really great idea and, and I think really meaningful yeah. for the filmmaking community. Yeah. Um, and again, kind of similar to Story Garden. Uh, I, w- I was brought in on this. This is the brainchild of uh, Jason Gigax. Uh, I love Gigax, by the way. He's the best dude. That's, that's, that's <laughs> yeah. my guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, you, you will not meet a nicer human being. Than Jason no, Gigax. No, that that is one hundred percent true. That's a yeah. solid fact. Um, and he and um, Darcy Wildman uh, started it, and uh, you know it's changed hands, it's changed venues. Jason's um, kind of just been trucking along with it. Uh, you know, we started at the Stone Fox, and you know, R.I.P. Stone Fox. Moved over to yeah. Family Watch. Whoops, uh, uh, R.I.P. Family Watch. I don't think we're cursed, uh, but. Um, we're, we're trying out a new venue. I don't know if it's been announced yet, so I, I'm going to hold off on mentioning that, but I'm sure Jason will let followers absolute know. Um, anyway, yeah, it, uh, I, I just kind of help with projection and try not to mess up, uh, filmmakers work when we screen it. Um, but we just show a block of short films usually runs two, two and a half hours. Um, uh, but that's not entirely just sitting down and watching films. Uh, there's a great Q and a led by Caleb Dirks, uh, you know, after each piece. And I know that a filmmaker Q and a can be a, uh, a thing where people kind of go, Oh boy. But I just all credit to Caleb in making these lively and interesting. And he just has this, I don't know, spidey sense where in a, you know, casual, interesting way he can just hone in on something and kind of bring it up out of a filmmaker, uh, that's like not critical, but, uh, but it's in, insightful and it's good for, I think audience and filmmaker. It gets the filmmaker to talk in a productive way, get the film out of their head. Um, and then, you know, some, it, it avoids the pitfalls of, uh, filmmaker Q and A's that we, see sometimes, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, at festivals and stuff. Uh, but yeah, then it's always in a bar. Uh, so there's drinking and there's an intermission 
uh, and there's a good hang afterward. Uh, I'm an old man and I don't always stay as long, uh, as I'd like, but yeah, you, um, like you'd mentioned, um, the networking is such a weird word, but it's a good spot to kind of just find some of the pulse of the Nashville filmmaking culture. Um, who's doing what, who's kind of like, uh, we'll show some weird stuff. You kind of go, where, where did this come from? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Who, who are these young guns coming up making this? And then we'll show super polished, like, Oh my goodness. Look at the, you know, the level to the level of production value that we've seen in just the few years I've been involved in is pretty crazy. I mean, Nashville, it just keeps up in the game year after year. It's pretty great. It's encouraging, I think, too. Yeah, and what you and Jason and Caleb and Bessie have, have created has, whether you realize it or not, it's it's quietly become one of the independent creative, independent artists, independent filmmaking institutions. Um, if you really <laughs> want to be part of this community, you need to go to Salute Your Shorts. You need to be there. Um so, so kudos to you on that. You've probably seen 500 to 1,000 shorts. So I would be <laughs> not doing my job if I didn't ask you, you know, when you look at these films, what are the biggest sort of creative mistakes you see being made on screen? And what are some of the business mistakes you see in terms of how uh, some of these shorts are funded and uh, or how these filmmakers are, are trying to apply their short out in the real world? Mm, gotcha. Um it's a, it's such a, I, don't know, I used to have this philosophy that I don't think I thought out as much as I should and that it might help to not take things so seriously um, when making these, but we all want to show that we are serious filmmakers and we want to show what we're doing, but sometimes there's an overwhelming self-seriousness Again, we're trying to give the our the thesis of our life, you know, make a large Kubrick-like statement when it's. I don't know if this is the format. They're short films, like show, pluck out, pluck out an idea or two that you want to just clearly convey, and 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 build off of that. Like it's, I think we get it. We just, as filmmakers, we get excited and want to show off our fancy footwork. And it's like, ah, I think you overshot it. So keeping it kind of scaled back, back but not like lazy. I don't know. It's a weird thing. Um, but really, I guess it's like the easy one for pitfalls is length, length of the short film. I'm very guilty of this. I've made two 20-minute shorts. And it's like, that's that's a lot that's a lot to sit through <laughs> right. for, you know, for an audience. So if you're, if you're going for that, man, you gotta nail it at every turn. And like the longer the short film, the harder it is to nail it at every turn. And so like, unlike what Caleb and I did and, uh, jumped in head first into a 20 minute, work your way up toward that. I think. Right. That's my, <laughs> And I, um, I would say that might that it might also be business too. I know you're about to allude to that, but I was thinking if yeah. you can't get your short into a festival um, yeah. because it's too long, 
you know, it, that, yeah. that might hurt you in a business way too, but, but yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, no, no, that's what that's, you know, and I, as far as business side of things, I, I think festival, if you want to get into festivals, yes, brevity is important. Um, the Defy Film Festival, um, it's run by um, Billy Sinise and Dicey Wild, like I mentioned earlier. Uh, I kind of, I'll help them screen sometimes. And length is a very large determining factor. Um, I've, someone just broke it down very simply for me is I've got a block of shorts. It's two hours. I can fit four five-minute short films in where I can fit your 20-minute short film. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, well, that's, that's the math of it. And you want to show as much of a variety. So, like, there's really, there's just not much room for a 20 minute short. And I don't know. I think that should be, but I don't know now, like things are changing in a way that I think you can do like TV pilot stuff in film festivals and episodic is, is a thing that I'm, Mm -hmm. you know, I've kind of, it's like, I I see you episodic stuff. That looks fun. But like, that's another, it's another, uh, monster tackle. Um, gosh, the business side, I think also, and I'm definitely not any sort of authority to speak on this, but I, um, a lot of guys that I work with, they work, you know, for not at all the appropriate amount of money that they should be paid when, um, but there's a lot of back scratching and that's the main thing is, um, commit to working on stuff whenever you can and see if you can, you know, scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. We'll, we'll work. It's, it is the love of the game sort of thing. Sometimes mm-hmm. I know we're here to make money, but it doesn't happen, uh, right off the bat, unless you're just awesome, which then it definitely happens. <laughs> but I don't know. Yeah. I, I mentioned it in, in a previous episode. I think there's a time to work for free and there's a time to know your worth. Yeah. And, oh, and, and I think, um, the time to work for free is when you're see because directors and, and uh, producers and, and even where me and Nick have produced and done executive producing, we want to work with the same people over and over because there's trust. Yeah. So, so when you're still, yeah. when you're trying to find a team that you can work with over and over again, that's a good time to work for free. But then once you're on that team, then you need to get paid for your work. Uh, once you start producing things that can actually produce income and, and honestly, you know, to me, and this goes to all forms of art and for all creatives, uh, if you be honest uh, with your work, because you have to ask the question as painful as it may be, um, would you pay for this? Yeah. Would you pay for what you created? And if the answer is no, then, then it's going to be hard for you to monetize that art and then pay the people that worked on it. So you have to also know, okay, it's time for me to get paid when I'm making art that other people will pay for and support my art um, in any, in any medium. Um, and sometimes it's hard to have that objectivity when it's your baby, when it's the thing you're making. Um, but Gosh, you do, you, you have to such try a to hard find, question. Yeah. Like when, that's when do you know, that. it's good enough. Yeah. That is a brutal mirror. <laughs> like, it is. The, the, the best <laughs> reflection, though, is your own family. And I, I mentioned this to Spencer mm. Um, mm. Glover before as well, which is um, no one tells you when you're ugly. <laughs> that's that's the that's the you have to when you're when you're beautiful, 
people tell you you're beautiful all the time. <laughs> when you're handsome, people tell you you're handsome all the time. But when you're ugly, no one mentions it. No one like they avoid your looks like it's the plague. Like they don't want to, they don't even want that conversation to come up. Right. So same, same with your art. If your friends and family want to consume your art, that's a really good sign. You're making good art. Um, when they show up to all your showcases or your screenings, that's a really good sign. You're making good art. When your family won't, won't even give you like $10 on a GoFundMe, that's a problem. That means you're, that means you're not making good art, <laughs> you know, or, or so, you're making art about your family and they're not too keen on it. They're not too keen on it. Exactly. So, um, yeah, very good stuff there. Um, I'm curious if, if you had one month to teach someone how to be a director, what would be the first three things you would teach them? If you had, if you had, uh, one month, one month to teach them. Oh man. Um, first three things. Okay. No matter when you think you've, uh, let's see, I think I have a problem with, uh, self-motivation and I think you just find those gears. And when you're, when you're, like, well, I've, I've pushed it pretty hard today. I think this is a productive day. It's like, just push it a little further, man. Mm -hmm. Like if you're sitting down to write, if you're sitting down to edit, like, sure, you might feel productive. But what if you just went a little beyond that and kind of developing that discipline and man, I'm, uh, not, I, I'm the biggest offender of that. But, uh, I think that's something that I, I harp on myself and would, I guess if someone's asking me to teach them something, I would say, I would push them in a way just to stick with it. Um, and I think, uh, I, I don't know if you are aware of this guy. I love him. It's a weird thing, but, uh, film crit Hulk, he is a internet film critic, uh, who kind of works in these somewhat anonymous ways. I think his identity is out there. He's a film critic, but he has really great incisive information usually on, big budget films, art films and all kinds of stuff. And, and I try to follow him. And one of the things he said, especially when it comes to comedy is, um, you know, if you feel like you might need to zig, try a zag. Uh, and it's such a simple concept, but it's almost like a, a mantra. Like I know you get in your head and you start trucking through, you know, like, well, this is how things would logically go step back, zoom out and try a zag. Uh, as far as the story goes, mm -hmm. um, or, or even in building shots, because there is of course an appropriate way to shoot something, but just keeping it within the zigging and zagging, try, try the opposite in a, I don't know, in that kind of way. I know that comes naturally to a lot of people, but sometimes I don't think it quite comes naturally to me. So I have to remind myself, I should get like memento tattoos of that just so <laughs> I'm like, what is this? Oh yeah. I'm supposed to zag. Um, yeah, that's something that I would convey. And I guess another thing is if we're as much as we work, you got to put in hours working. We also have to consume. And, uh, it's a, that is such a strange balance now. Um, like even 10 years ago, kind of learning stuff, you could, you can go to blockbuster and get a DVD and that'd be your night. But now we can just like sit down and watch, I hate the L word, but literally watch anything. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I think we can either 
just be overwhelmed by our media diet or we can fine tune and continue to click in. It's kind of like one of those big giant synthesizers now where you can fiddle with knobs as much as possible and watch Filmstruck vegetables uh, or Netflix candy. Like I'll binge Daredevil like crazy, but then it's like, okay, that was great. I learned some stuff. Now, where else can I learn things? And that would be, you know, what, what strange director spotlight is on Filmstruck, but then keeping it kind of light and lively. Like I just watched my all time favorite music video. Uh, I hadn't seen it. Uh, and I was like, gosh, it's so good. It's so foundational to certain things that I still try to do today. What, what is your all time favorite music video? <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, Snoop Dogg, uh, sexual seduction. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it has, I think, uh, I don't know, 84 million views. And like, I think 4 million of those are probably me. Uh, uh, that video. <laughs> it's just perfect. I'm not even like, a crazy Snoop Dogg fan. I don't know if I have like his albums or something, but just that video is a, uh, is a nice kind of center for me. And like, it's a good dude, they video. went weird with this. It's so good. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so like, I don't know, being cautious about media diet, uh, getting as much in. And I would include short films in that for, for sure. Mm-hmm. Watch some bad short films. Sorry, they're they're out there. Um, watch yes. good short films, of course. You want to learn and see what you know what's going on. I think like South by does a Vimeo roundup. Like you can find the 2017 comedy shorts uh, on, on like a playlist. Just you know, spend a binge slash burning through those, or then you can probably find some some rough ones out there you don't want to you know it feels like well i only have so much time i don't want to um spend it on something poorly made but man you can learn so much from that i love a a good bad movie uh because you you can not from too high of a horse but you can kind of see missteps and go wow that's a really want to avoid the the actor uh, matt williams talks about watching movies as study and and that there's always a challenge that you have to pose to yourself, which is, am I, am I binge watching to learn or, or am I binge watching to be a couch potato? And, uh, you, you kind of have to know that line and, and, uh, make sure that you're, like you said, spicing it up. So you know, mm-hmm. ha- having diversity so that you actually, it actually is a learning exercise and not an exercise in just burning time. Yeah, I think you can learn from a lot of stuff, but if you kind of feel, I don't know, you'd also need, you know, time to turn your brain off, but I think it's good to learn as much as you can from, I don't know, I like, uh, like my, my doze off stuff right now is me TV. I love that weird channel that comes over the air that just shows old television shows. Uh, Mm -hmm. I just provide me with a whole lot of direction, but you do kind of see like, um, trends that just don't hold up at all anymore. And some that do, it's kind of fun to, to pick through those. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I always go back to one of my favorite movies, um, that my dad actually put me on, which is deer hunter. And I just, every yeah. time I watch deer hunter, I think to myself, this movie would not get made today. Um, yeah, you know, that, that act one just doesn't cut it, uh, for, 
modern filmmaking. And it's too bad in a way, but also I, I you know, I, I get it. Um, I told you I'd call back to something you alluded to at the beginning of this conversation. Um, you have a philosophy on violence in film. Will you talk to me about that a little bit? Why wow, that was, um, I mean, it's just a personal sort of thing where, um, I don't know. It's a weird disconnect for me. Cause I just talked about how much I love daredevil <laughs> and that's, there's all kinds of mm-hmm. punching blood. Um, I guess it's, uh, bringing guns into stuff is, is a, is a next level sort of thing. And it usually comes off so, uh, mindless and I don't mind a good action flick here and there. Um, but with backfire, we kind of just wanted to go with the portrayal that boy, this in movies, this, uh, seems to be the way people solve their problems. And it only seems to make things worse for, um, for our guy. He just kind of kept getting caught up in situations. Um, like, uh, my friend, Matt Jernigan, we, we convinced him to spend a week playing our, our main guy. And he was always, you know, he was in a, a robbery. He somehow stumbled upon these country boys with shotguns. There's a car chase. It just, it was inescapable for him. Um, gosh, we also very insensitively had a, um, a school. No one is shot in the school shooting. I guess it's an attempted school shooting. Mm. Uh, so, and I think that's something that, uh, I wish we had treaded more carefully on. Uh, because that's where we're, I think we pushed things and in a young gun, young, young guns kind of, uh, a filmmaking way of like, let's do something a little provocative. And I'm like, I don't know if I, if I jive with that methodology anymore. Um, so yeah, I, I it's, it's a, a constant American subject that, I don't know. I should probably revisit because it's even in 10 years, things have changed since we, since we made that. Yeah. The word mindless, um, thoughtless sort of use. I think that's the thing that really sticks out for me because, um, it's this democratizing of gun use that, um, it, that's always when the stakes are high or when the story turns and, and things get serious or, or how, how you cue to the audience that things are really important is when you bring a gun into play. Um, mm-hmm. And um, that just the idea that everybody has them and they can quickly and easily get them. And, and that, um, you know, we can take, you know, John Wick style, we can take, you know, a, a, a hundred people's lives and it, it's, it's okay because, um, um, the means justify the ends. Um, yeah. Cause, cause you know, we know what we get, we get great entertainment. It's fun. I'm not a prude at all. I get it. I'm like you, I'll watch an action movie. It's not a, it's not a big deal if you can handle it, uh, mentally. But I also think we also have to try to focus on what do we, what do we lose? We know what we gain, but what do we lose when we show this much sort of gratuitous democratized violence, on screen and maybe we, we lose our sense of the value of, you know, a person's life if they don't play a starring role in the story of Mm -hmm. your own life. If you're the, if you're the gun handler. Right. 
Yeah, it's so weird in a film when someone shows up, you kind of have this feeling of like, I don't recognize that actor, but according to how the scene is going, I bet they're going to die or get shot. And it's like, right. there's already <laughs> a value there. And it's like, yeah, that shot man number two in the credits or whatever. And it's just like, oof. And yeah, I think the insensitivity of it is something that uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about for a long time. I do have this like theory that the generation that grew up post Columbine, like attended school every day and it's getting like worse and worse. I hear about these poor drills that kids have to go through to prepare them for this, um, coming violence. Apparently I, I think that's a story that just needs to be told more and more and more. And like what, uh, hopefully our, our art can convey something of importance there. And that this is, this is a little bit out of hand guys. Yeah. Uh, we're not, there's a, there's a yes, Western star thing, but yeah. lessons are a whole different plot point. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting that, that when you insert a behavior into the, the dialogue of the real world, how you invite the thing you're trying to prevent in its own way. Um, mm-hmm. You, you kind of have to build the, the culture society you want. And, um, and, and then I think that has a net effect on, on those out there that would be bad actors at times uh, as well. But it's definitely something's happening because we, we see that violence uh, and random violence is ticking up um, uh, more and more. I did want to break out a little bit of space for you to talk about um your upcoming project. I know you shot it at a church. Uh, Chad uh, McLaren was your AD, I believe. Saving, this. AKA saving grace. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So tell me a little bit about this short, uh, what it's all about. Um, yeah. Um, the location, um, um, when we can see it, all that good stuff. <laughs> okay. Yeah. My uh, good friend, uh, Lauren Burst through Story Garden uh, has uh, access to an old church in East Nashville. And she was pitched it and said, Hey, if you'd like to do a thing here, let me know. And so, again, kind of jumping from the location to see what kind of story we could tell, um, you know, somewhat the Sora style. I didn't want to expand, I, I wish I had expanded my uh, narrative approach a little bit, but I kind of went based off of voiceover, where can we go uh, and exploring things and jumped into some uh, more faith, the the wrestling of faith sort of thing. I uh, grew up somewhat Christian and then attended a Christian-based school, you know, in and out of that sort of realm and things. Uh, so let's step back as a 30-some-odd-year-old and, and see what we can tease out in this old church. Cause there's just something it's like, there's a majesty to it, but it's also in very bad shape. Um, so building off of that metaphor also wanted to set it in the nineties because I think that's a, this is a pre, this is the beginnings of the internet taking place, uh, in this time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, we're kind of seeing, uh, it's just a different time. I like, tossing stories around when the internet doesn't happen or isn't, you know, uh, involved. It, um, anyway, little side there. Uh, but Henry Haggard, local actor who, um, 
was a family favorite because each year we attend, uh, <laughs> there's Marche does a, a reading of a uh, Christmas story, the Dickens, mm-hmm. uh, and Henry always plays Scrooge and we've gone for like eight years in a row and we just love it. I don't know. It's like this wonderful tradition. I was kind of thought it'd be great to get some of these guys in on a short film. So I finally thought, let's get Henry. Let's have him play a preacher. Uh, and he was like, you know, personally, as far as my faith goes, I don't know. <laughs> I'm like, no, Henry, <laughs> great. It's going to work. I actually got him up there. He preached a, a sermon to a small congregation and nailed it. My, uh, my cousin Tammy was like, you know what? That was a pretty good message. <laughs> I was like, I'll tell Henry he's not a man of the cloth, but I'm glad that it that it it hit a note or two. But yeah, I'm editing it now. I did experiment with the shooting here. I think that's what short films are just best at is allowing you to experiment. So I had a couple storyboards, but did the did the amateur thing where you imitate your heroes and thought, what if we went a little Terrence Malick with it here? So there's a lot of footage I'm still sifting through and finding just what I want out of the performances. There's a reason Terrence Malick goes through seven editors, by the way, uh, mm-hmm. per film, because it, it's, it's a, uh, a different gruel, grueling path than just regular old editing. Um, but it's fun, I think, sifting through and finding it and developing, further developing whatever this voice is. Uh, so I hope to have it done end of year. Probably kick it around to some festivals and see if it sticks. Um, if it does, yeah, it will be available there. I'll just do an online release. After, you know, we'll we'll find those bridges and cross them. <laughs> well, yeah, and um, yeah, let me know uh, if you do an online release. I think you know, Bonds. I would love to to help with that. And um, it's called Saving Grace, right? Oh no, sorry. Um, no, <laughs> Chad was my saving grace. Oh, Chad was your saving grace. Oh, so so what he what he what he normally does then? Yeah, gotcha. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just like voice of reason. Like, hey, yeah. buddy, you might want to. Oh, thanks, Chad. No, um, currently it's titled A Common Era. Um, so that's that's where it is now. Probably mm-hmm. gonna stick with that. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm it should be. I hope to keep it at ten minutes. We'll see. Well, I can't, I can't wait to see it. I'm sure it is going to be uh, uh, just amazing. I know you mentioned Terrence Malick a few times in this conversation. And, and, you know, I, I'm not in love with, with Terrence Malick's storytelling, but I'm in love with the, um, the beauty of his story, the beauty of his storytelling. Like, so no one mm-hmm. gets a better shot than him. Uh, no, nobody. Yeah. Um, the shots yeah. that he gets, um, the beauty of it is it's, he's a, he's a, breathtaking. So let me say this. I go and watch all of his movies, right? Because mm-hmm. I want to leave inspired and he's number one in that category. Um, when it comes yeah. to just being inspired by beauty, um, uh, you do have to work a little harder to figure out where he's going, um, as a, <laughs> as a viewer, but, but some people love that. So, so I don't, I don't begrudge it at all. I just, I just love watching what he does with, with the camera. And you also know you're in for a one of a kind experience when you go and watch a Malick film. So, um, so yeah, good, good, good stuff. So if it has that beauty of a Malick film, I'm, I'm really really (laughs) freaking pumped to see, to see this thing. So Drew, you are, uh, uh, a humble, nice, uh, amazing guy and and you have spent um 
uh, a good amount of time with us today, more than than I, I probably said uh, you were going to. <laughs> so so I appreciate you hanging in there with me. Um, can you tell oh, everybody man. where to? Oh no, yeah, yeah, no, the pleasure's all ours and uh, and all mine. Uh, c- can you tell uh, everybody where to find you on social media and on the internet? Sure. Um, yeah, website is drewmaynard.com. Uh, I'm on Instagram, uh, at Drew Maynard. It's typically just, you know, pictures of my dog, uh, occasional film <laughs> updates if something comes along. Uh, and then, uh, on Twitter, I'm at Drew Maynard. Uh, there you'll have occasional musings, but also some, uh, a political deal or two, cause that's, that's, you know, that's Twitter, but I try to keep those <laughs> to a minimum. Uh, but yeah, like, the, now that um, it seems that American healthcare is somewhat <laughs> uh, band, there's a band aid on it. Yeah, and I, I try to tone down my my stuff there. But yeah, it's a uh, quite a sell. Hey, check me out on Twitter where I, where I scream. Uh, no, it's yeah, I'll be there and dreamman.com. Uh, I think that's all I'm really on. Yeah, I don't have Facebook, so uh, oh, no, that's. That's yeah. great. That's great. And look, we need more voices out there. I think we're in a time where the time to be quiet has passed. And um, if we want to develop a future we're proud of, we need voices like you out there on Twitter, especially intelligent voices, not not trolls and, and people who uh, have tinfoil hats on. So um, it, do you have any parting thoughts? Any is there if you could say one thing to our audience of creatives, um, what would it be? And just keep making stuff. Goodness, keep making stuff. I know that's it, it's, everyone says it, never, but but it just I'll join in on the chorus and say that um, if you have the means, I know there's a lot to balance in life, but if you have the means to make something, give it a shot and learn. Yeah. That is a great way to end this thing. Drew, thank you so much for your time. And uh, I hope to see you out there uh, soon. And I I can't wait to see the short that uh, comes out, uh, hopefully in the beginning of 2019. Yeah, I hope so. Fingers crossed. Thanks so much, Chris. Anytime. I'll talk to you soon, man. All right. See you. All right. Be good. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Make It Podcast. To find more information on this week's creative, including links to their projects, social media, and transcripts of this interview, please visit our website at www.bonsai.film forward slash podcast. If you haven't already, you can join our podcast community on Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Bonsai Creative and on Facebook by searching for Bonsai Creative. And of course, if you're looking to take a big step towards your filmmaking success, go to www.bonsai.film and click on Show Me How to schedule a free discovery meeting and needs assessment. You have everything to gain. Until next time, be better, be creative, be engaged. And thank you for listening.